podcast, we have Joe Van Newkirk. I just call him Jungle Joe. I just call him Joe, actually. Joe's been a friend of mine for six or seven years now. We lived in the same neighborhood in Costa Rica, the same barrio, you would say, down there. And uh, he's just a great dude. He's one of these athletes that has mastered his body and has gotten to a level of proficiency in his consciousness where he's a real benefit to other people. And as you'll see in the podcast, he is all heart. Um, I've had a lot of appreciation for Joe for a very long time. He's one of my friends that uh, I can say every time I see him, there's always a plus side of energy. And he's a real benefit to our community in the sense that he really practices what he preaches. He's been through the initiation of pro rugby. I think he was like a two, either either a two or three time world champion in rugby. I admittedly don't know much about rugby, but to get to that level, a sport that's played all around the world, uh, that's, that's an amazing feat. And apparently he was the best at what he did at his position, so He'll never really talk about it unless you coax, coax it out of him. Um, I have a bunch of friends that are pro athletes. I have a bunch of clients that are pro athletes. And I have to say the, the stereotypes that are surrounding them isn't really warranted. Uh, to the one of them, they all have really, really good intentions. And because they've had physical mastery, um, they don't suffer from little man's complex. They don't suffer from um, the notion that, you know, <laughs> they can't be a gamma or at least that, that type, that expression doesn't occur. So enjoy the podcast with Joe. Uh, we're getting really good guests and growing very fast. So that's a, that's a testament to you guys. Please share um the podcast wherever you can uh we're on i believe all the different audio only uh apps that are out there um on the uh podcast page there's a donate button if you feel like you want to donate and help us we we do have expenses we don't have an income model as of yet uh but um there are expenses <laughs> There's hosting expenses for video and all the rest of it. And you guys know, the, you know, the drum beat. So yeah, if you feel like supporting, uh, it's always appreciated. Um, we are going to be having a bunch of uh, live interviews coming up here pretty soon, which is really neat. And I'm going to be launching the uh, live stream where I can answer your questions. I field a few hundred messages, questions a month, and um, I would like to field them in a way that uh, it can be interactive. And I also just love stream of thought consciousness where there's no preconceived thing. And uh, we're going to have a lot of bu really good guests coming up. Uh, Dr. Daniels is coming back. Uh, Marty Leeds. I'm going to be uh, talking to Ole Damagard. Um, if any of you guys know uh, Dr. Narcolongo, kind of bug him. I'm trying to get him on the podcast. Uh, but just a lot of good folks where we're going to be talking everything from astrotheology to turpentine to all the good things that kind of allow us to be self-sufficient. So enjoy the podcast and uh, 
yeah, we'll see you on the flip side. Where, where are you at? Um, I'm actually, I'm here at my mom's place in, uh, it's a small town outside of uh, Cape Town called Swellendam. Wow, I have no idea of the geography there, man. You you, you look like you're you're nice and warm and great. And... <laughs> I thought I thought just you know coming onto your podcast, I thought to myself, hey man, I've got to I've got to be intellectual. So I thought if I if I surround myself with all the books, I'll be in a better state. For well, the I, I'm just I'm just gonna tell everybody you read all of that. <laughs> you, you know your parents. You know your mom is well read. <laughs> do you got yeah, a cup do you have a cup of joe there what what do you got going on uh yeah i just got a bit of tea but um uh since i've come back to south africa i've been drinking more tea like just rooibos tea simple simple and plain yeah it, what time is it there like it's in the afternoon right yeah it's it's uh 5 5 p.m in the afternoon nice nice here what time, what time is it there it's 10 a.m and uh, it's super cold. We just had the, they call it the cyclone bomb hit the United States. Yeah. So oh. uh, it's, it's with the wind chill, it's, it's around, you know, 10, 12 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, oh wow. So it's really chilly. Yeah. Yeah. It's below freezing. <sighs> wow. And you up in, you, you're in the Ozarks, eh? No, we went to go see our uh, uh, Mackenzie's family, my in-laws. And so they're in North Carolina. In oh. and right now, Missouri, it's sub zero. It's like really cold. Oh wow! Sure, that's such a contrast from here to there, right it, now. It's summer. It's summer where you're at, right? Yeah, here it's uh, it's full full on summer. I mean, but it's just crazy with the weather, you know. I mean, it's so unpredictable right now. Even over this time of year, normally it's like extremely hot. Like we're talking. I don't know, we use degrees, so it's, I think it's like 35 degrees, mm-hmm. um, 35 degrees C or like upwards to 40, 40 degrees. So it's like, it's really, really hot. And this year has been kind of changing a lot. There's been a lot of rain and um, yeah, I think it's just all kind of a little bit upside down at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I think everything's changing. Uh, this, I think the sky clock is is moving in such a way that we're we're right in the middle of an age change. So it, we're all experiencing weirdness because no matter who I talk to, they all say the same thing. They say it's uh, the weather is abnormal, and if you want it, if you want different weather, just wait fifteen minutes. <laughs> exactly. Everyone says yeah, that. It's so true. And then then, and then everyone says, oh, we have a microclimate. I was like, okay, everybody has a microclimate. There's like 7 billion microclimates. (laughs) Okay. So (laughs) I wanted to have you on the podcast because you are, in my mind's eye, a completely embodied man. Um, I don't want to slaughter your last name. It's Van Newkirk, right? Did I say that correctly? Yeah. Did, yeah, you got it. You got it. Van Newkirk. So, <laughs> ju- <laughs> so well, we'll say, I'll say like, I'll say, I'll say it like in, in an Afrikaans way. They say like, Van Newkirk. Like, van so they say like, Van Newkirk. Yeah. You, you have to talk with your hands. <laughs> you got it, right? <laughs> van Newkirk. 
Awesome. You got it. <laughs> so what, what I want you to introduce yourself to, to my uh, audience. Um, I met you in Costa Rica, obviously, but, um, and I've just introduced you like previous to the interview, just as a, just as a great dude that was a pro pro athlete for many, many years. And I, I don't follow rugby specifically. So why don't you just uh, let my my audience know uh, where you're coming from and and uh, from from a worldly perspective what you achieved in the professional sports arena? Oh well, firstly, I just want to say it's an absolute honor here to come onto your part. Um, you know, as I've I've learned so many things through you and just like your presence and being with you in the jungle and sharing moments, beautiful moments um, with you there. I'm so grateful uh, to be here on this platform with you. Um, yeah, my name is, as you said, Joe Van Nieker. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And, um, <laughs> and um, yeah, I played professional sports for about uh, 13 years. Um, I played here in South Africa and then I played abroad in, uh, in France um so those were the two places that i played uh professional sport i played a sport called rugby for your viewers out there it's uh pretty much similar to american football in some way but i think mostly the collision and contact is probably similar um the rules are completely different um in rugby you know you pass the ball backwards um and then yeah there's there's many other different rules that come into play um, I think football's more kind of stop start, right. as you would know, because you played you played football. Um, but uh, rugby, yeah, rugby in itself is, I think, pretty much a very much a contact game, mm -hmm. and um, and yeah, I just enjoyed playing so much in my days. Um, I think it was one thing for me that I was, I feel like I was kind of born to do that. Um, and also something which I was extremely passionate about. I think, uh, you know, you got the guys that were playing that potentially were doing it for, you know, a livelihood. But for me, it was more than that. It was about the passion of the game and, and the love for the game. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, so just for your viewers, that was my path. And then I, I, I went uh, after I played in France for uh, six years. I stayed in, in France for eight years, and then I moved to Costa Rica two years after that. So right. uh, I actually went out to Costa Rica just on vacation mm -hmm. and, uh, and then ended up, uh, ended up staying there. Yeah, yeah it, it does that. We, we went down on vacation once, and it was just like, hey, this would be a great place to live. <laughs> 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 that's exactly what it was yeah yeah I, it snags a bunch of us in that way it's it's a beautiful place to be so i uh what i want to do with this podcast is i always want to get into people's cosmology this is uh we like to dive deep into like the meta side of things and like especially with people that are fully embodied and 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 realized as yourself I have a greater respect for people that have taken something and mastered it. So the last few people I've had on, they have mastery in their specific fields and you've mastered the, the, the use of your body. You know, I, I talk about proprioception a lot and 
I really think when you master your body, it actually gives you a little bit more awareness and insight into, into the greater realm, so to speak. So, um, all the years of you, uh, of you being in professional sport and under the, the, uh, pressure cooker of competition, how did that form your views of things? Cause you and I have a, a similar, a similarity in the sense that once we were done with that side of the world, we went to the opposite spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's, that's exactly it. That was like that, that, um, you know, extremeness, mm -hmm. uh, if you want for a better word, but like, it was just the, you know, like the transition and the, the, the way that that transition happened. And I think it was pretty similar for you too, but just completely then needing the nourishment of the spiritual world uh, from all the years of being uh, within an establishment and, you know, grinding it out and, 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 and almost being like a, um, an employee in a sense, mm -hmm. um, uh, in an establishment and working hard every single day, because, I think that's also one aspect of it that a lot of the folks out there maybe potentially don't really understand or or from that viewpoint is that it's it's day in day out you know it's um yeah there may be more flexibility within the program but when they see the guys come on the saturday and they're playing a game for uh you know an 80 minute game that's kind of the final product right, right. the weeks that take that takes to get to that point um, it, it, it's it's like anything else, right? Like it's it's work, eat, sleep. Like it's it's full power. So so yeah, I think for me, just being under that intense pressure week in week out, um, one can obviously get used to it. You know, um, the winning and the losing, and this like kind of this up and down. Uh, mm -hmm. Kind of one week you're up, the next week you're down, the next week you got to fight to get back up again, and just the, the adversity that comes with that. And I think that that also the resilience that's created through that, that's a beautiful thing. But for me, coming towards the end, I was like literally doing something um, within my field and I was just not within, in my, within myself. I was not in harmony anymore because mm -hmm. I was just, you know, I was basically getting up. I had like a lot of pain in my physical body. I was, I was, I was just grinding, and then I basically got dropped from the team. So I was like an integral part of the of the makeup of that team, and we worked hard, and we got to the point where we were like winning the trophies. But I was, so I was this integral part and captain. And then what happened is I slowly but surely got moved out. And for the last six months of my career, I was literally I wasn't even on the replacement bench. I was like in the stands. Yeah. So <clears throat> that for me was like to deal with, you know, as a professional athlete to deal with how that feels. And, and we both know what that's affecting. It's your ego, right? Like I was like, <laughs> damn, like I need to be there. And I remember the first day that that started to happen. It was like, I had this emotional reaction, you know, when I went back home, I was just like, I can't believe I'm not in the team and like <laughs> stuff this coach, what's he doing? <laughs> he doesn't know what he's doing. And, you know, this huge emotional reaction to it. But <clears throat> looking back now, I know that, that that was the catalyst for me. That was the catalyst for me to go within. 
Mm. And that was that was the thing that actually, you know, shot me forward and said, hey, wait, like, look at the situation in your life and, and recognize that this is nothing. This is actually just a part of your process. It's part of your journey. And looking at it from a totally different perspective allowed me for, for that emotional reaction to just simmer down and just be at ease. And then recognize that, wait, like this is just affecting a part of me that's still holding on to this, you know, identity of who I think I am. And that I, you know, for all these years had been told that, okay, well, this is your identity. This is who you are. You're Joe, the rugby player. And so that for me was the start of actually dissolving some of this conditioning and the past and that I'm this rugby player and all of that. And I think that that in itself was very humbling to actually be like, okay, I, I accept where I am now. I'm not going to go to the training. I'm not going to, I'm not going to create negative pockets of, you know, negative negativity about mm -hmm. players, about coaches. I'm just going to look within and I'm going to start to, you know, uh, reflect upon this and, and search outside for like other material. Like I started to look at the Buddhist principles. I looked at, um, I looked at like how how they would approach certain difficulties that were perceived difficulties in in life and mm -hmm. and so that really like gave me this kind of uh, confidence to go back to the training field and be just how I was before with positivity, good vibes, um, walking to the coach, making it um, a priority every morning to walk to the coach and say good morning coach and give him the biggest smile ever mm -hmm. and. Literally for the last six months, that's all that I did. I was just like pumping the same amount of energy into the team, positive vibes, good things. And yeah, and, and it really, really helped definitely for those last six months. That's wonderful. How old were you when, when that transition out of the game was occurring? Uh, that's exactly, that's a very beautiful question because I think I was, I was uh, coming to not, not sad in return because uh, I was 34 years old, so I was kind of, um, yeah, I, on my sudden return, 28 years old, I was actually, I voyaged out of South Africa, and I ended up, uh, I also, the similar things happened to me related to, like, alcohol, um, my behavior, uh, losing a girlfriend, not being in the mix in South Africa, so that happened to me when I was 28. And then, um, and then this happened when I was, uh, yeah, 30, 33 and a half mm -hmm. years old. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 33 and a half. Yeah. You, you, your, your, your Jesus years. <laughs> that that's stunning. And so, so you find yourself out of the, the one thing a lot of people don't understand about what occurs for professional athletes is you're managed like you're in a team and you're managed the, the team has managers you know coaches the whole thing i have no idea the structure or how big the organizations are of professional rugby but if they're anything like the nfl or the collegiate side of football in the united states you're talking about organizations that have hundreds of people behind them and like millions upon millions upon millions of you know uh, dollars worth of value so you go from a very regimented way of living to now having no 
rules. And I know as a young man for myself, that was like, that was weird because from age 12 to age 24, I had been managed <laughs> essentially. <laughs> and, and then, you know, from when did you start playing rugby? How old were you? Um, I started when I was like 14 years old. So from 14 to 33, that's almost 20 years. You had this regiment of, of like structure, right? And then you found yourself in an unstructured environment. Give, give, a, give a little feedback on that. Wow. Well, that, uh, you know, the, 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 the dark night of the soul, that was actually what came, came to me towards the end, right towards the end. And like a lot of unwanted feelings. And, and so getting to that point, you know, when, when we literally, we won everything. So we won the European cup and the, and the domestic competition in France, um, our team won everything. So, um, so the last celebration, I said to myself, okay, I'm going to go for this last celebration. But then once I've done that, I'm categorically done. Like, and then, but, but moving then, as you mentioned, like into this completely unstructured, um, world, you know, in a sense, and I, it, it, it definitely allowed for me to, allowed for me to go within and, and then also just to start to, uh, do my own kind of research and the, what I was actually going through from like a loss of identity in a sense um, and a mini death because it's like all these years you've been doing this 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 thing, right? And then mm -hmm. it just all comes to an end and falls flat and it's like from one day to the next. And um, my way of dealing with it was really going into solitude. I... I for the for two years after I finished playing, I just I completely, um, yeah, I just completely pulled back from everything. Social networks, uh, digital. I like even from my circle of friends. You know, I, I just completely went in. And then also, it's funny you talk about the program and the structure because it was necessary for me to create some kind of structure. You know, um, mm -hmm. waking up, going for a cold bath thereafter going and chanting and meditation thereafter going and sun gazing thereafter coming back um and then like coming back and having something to eat then relaxing and then doing that whole process day in day out like kind of more going into the yogic kind of way of of being and um yeah, if I look back now, it was kind of a little bit <laughs> just spontaneous, but it was, I didn't really have the, how can I say, I didn't have the guidance, you know, at that point in time. Right. Um, as to like exactly what, you know, those processes, how, how one goes about doing those processes after 20 years of playing sport, you know. Right. Um, and, and, and I think also things like introducing into Vipassana meditation, um, I read the autobiography of a yogi. Of course. I, you know, I, of course. <laughs> yeah. You know? I have like and, 12 and... pro pro athlete friends and we all like as soon as our as soon as our career ends, it's like, oh, here's autobiography of a yogi. <laughs> it is it's that one. And then what about Drag Das? Be here now. Oh, of course. That one. Uh, polishing the mirror, ghost for the mill, like all of these books, I just went so deep into all of it. 
And um, yeah, I think like that, that was also an aspect of it because like for so many years being in that establishment and having all everything kind of placed in order for you and then coming out of that and then just feeling like, wow, after all the carnage just from the physical body, <laughs> the emotion. The carnage, that's such a great word. <laughs> the, uh, that's what I'm going to title this, the carnage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so no. So after all the carnage, I think that one gets to a point where, where you just you just want to immerse yourself into a healthy way of life, you know. And and I think that that was also one of the epiphanies I had just after playing. Um, I I it was about two days, you know, and. I think also the, the beautiful thing about sports is that competitiveness and then also just like bringing, um, bringing the A team, bringing the top A all the way through, you know? Mm -hmm. So like basically sitting after that two, three days after we ended, I was like, Oh, I'm, I've got to do a, I've got to do a, a juice fast. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so anyway, all the stimulants, stopping all the stimulants, stopping all the, 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 the junk food, stopping everything, all the alcohol, all of these things that are detrimental to our health, mm -hmm. and then just going on to playing juice fast for, for I think, 21 days. But on the 12th day of that juice fast, I'd never felt energy that I felt mm -hmm. like that for years, I promise you. Because from being on all the anti-inflammatories, like all of the, the drugs, all of the alcohol, all of the stuff, like not really being concerned too much about diet all the time because like you're playing week in, week out. So sometimes like on a Saturday, you'll eat McDonald's or you'll have certain mm -hmm. things. So so from a physical point of view, a lot of training and, and working out things, but it, from a, from other aspects of putting waste, a lot of different like chemicals into your body, right? Right. And so getting to that point of, of 12 days, in a juice fast, I had this epiphany and I was like, oh, this is, this is literally like the healthiest I've ever felt. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, this is, this is crazy. Like, and I was, I remember I was driving the car and I was literally like, I was like celebrating because I was just like, this feels so good. You know, this feels so good. <clears throat> and I literally hadn't felt that healthy for, for years. Mm -hmm. So so that was also like a really beautiful, powerful moment for me on the journey. Yeah, I, I remember when I had just gotten out of playing football, I was introduced to Ayurvedic medicine. And mm. I, I was getting Ayurvedic massage. I got a Shiodora. Have you ever had the Shiodora ah. with, with the oil? And like I had a transcendental <laughs> moment. And so, of course, I was like, oh, this is the way to the light. So the practitioner, she's like, well, you should get tridoshically balanced. And I'm like, oh, what are doshas? You know, and then I learned all about doshas. And they're like, you do a kachiri for a month. And so here I am, a guy that literally for like, I think for a whole month in one summer, I ate nothing but Whoppers. I don't know if you have Whoppers <laughs> in South Africa, but they were $1. They had $1 yeah. Whoppers. So like my, during my peak, you know, f you know, physicality of my body, I literally, all I ate was a hamburger like three times a day for a whole month because that's all I could sure. afford. 
And so, <laughs> so going from that, then going into a, a, a real like stern Indian Kachiri where it was called Mung Dal and it was just gross to this day. I can't, oh. I, I, I can't eat mung beans, <laughs> but just like you, <laughs> like within 10 days of that's all, all you can eat. Cause the whole idea in Ayurvedic medicine is that, um, it's all cooked food. So it's pre-digested. So it allows your GI tract to, to relax. So I'm eating this and I hated it and I was mad and I was going through withdrawals of caffeine, withdrawals of sugar, just all the withdrawals, you know. But once I got through that, dude, I was like, bing. Oh, yeah. And what I noticed was I couldn't hang out with anyone. Just too sensitive, like sensitive to that. Or... Well, there, there's that, but also I just wasn't relative to people. Like uh, all, yeah, all, yeah, all, yeah, all yeah, my old yeah. crew, you know, like the whole, mm. you know, because in sports, you end up having a crew, you know, you end up having people mm. that are like, you know, kind of riding the coattails, if you know what I mean. And like, I couldn't be around any of them. Like, that was just like, I just remember I had a condo on the beach and I was just like, whenever I'd go somewhere, something would get canceled. It was just like my frequency where, wherever I was at, at that point, I, I just didn't have relativity to, to any of my, my old peeps, you know? So. Oh, no, I, re I, re I, re I, I, I know exactly what you say, because it's like when you delve deeper into that and you're going into yourself and you have these epiphanous moments or illumination, like slivers of illumination or whatever you want to call it. But, um, <clears throat> most definitely changes like in terms of what you're feeding yourself in, you know, like and, and who you surrounded with. So it's like, it's a very interesting process to go through. I know a lot of people can feel lonely when that happens to them, when they have that, like these, these moments of illumination and then they realize, wow, have I been, you know, who have I been surrounded with and what, what kind of energy are they carrying and, and, you know, all of these things. So you start to become more aware about it and i remember the same thing happened to me with my group of friends um i literally was in this group this whatsapp group and through this whatsapp group it was like you know like there were some like some nude photos and some poom porn things and derogatory feminine things and just different things that were coming through the stream and it was coming straight into my like existence and i'm like damn, like, no way. Like, I just, you know, so I literally, what I did is I had, like, five of my best friends at the time. I, like, wrote them all a letter. And I wrote this long letter, like, just basically stating where I'd arrived in my life, where, what, what I'd been going through, um, you know, and, uh, and, and what I stand for now and what I, what I, what I, like, my boundary around that. And that I wouldn't want to be, uh, I, I don't want to be continuing in this group any longer. And so mm -hmm. I remember sending, sending that, that, that letter and my one buddy phoned my other buddy. He said, what's happened with Joe? What's going on with him? Like, was he, you know? yeah. And then the other buddy phoned the other buddy and they were like, oh, phoning each other. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. And, um, 
Yeah, but no, but I, I, I hear you. Yeah, like it's definitely start to shift in a in a big way. Yeah. So now, like, it, it's kind of cool. So I met you, I guess, it was like five, five, maybe six years ago. Was it that long ago? Oh, can yeah. I can I turn this can I turn this light on quickly? Yeah. Are you go gonna ahead. cut this? Okay. I just want to get a bit more light. Which one is it? Is it that one? Thanks, brother. She's just getting a little bit. Is that better? Yeah, you look good. Oh, great. Okay. You look good too. <laughs> I, I'm cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, have, I have multiple layers on, so uh, I'm, I'm in the opposite environment that you are right now. So when we met, you were pretty much, uh, I would say you were, you had um, much more of an introverted energy. Like you were definitely your energetic field, even though everybody felt your heart. Like that's what everybody, before I met you, like, ah, oh, Joe, he's all heart. And when I met you, I was like, oh, this dude's all heart. So you have this emanating, you know, Sagittarius, you know, big vibe energy, but you were like kind of playing everything close to the vest, right? And now it seems like over the last few years, like you've like, you've kind of hit that balance. Like if sports took you all the way to the, to the A, A type, go for it, win championships, and then you swing to the spirit on the spiritual spectrum as, as being an introvert. Now it seems like you're like right there in the middle, like you're, you're in the Buddha path and, um, that, that it feels really good to see you this way. Like it, it am I, am I kind of, is my assessment of looking at it correct? Oh, definitely. I think, yeah, without a doubt, I think that, uh, you know, I went, I did the, you know, James always tells me, you know, he's always like, you're doing the pendulum, you know, yeah. he's like, he's swinging from there to there. <laughs> and then he's like, he always got to come back to here, you know, but, but I think that, um, yeah, I think that's a really good assessment of where I'm at at the moment. Um, in just in my personal sphere. Um, obviously when I came down to Costa Rica, I was still, pretty much um, finding my feet there as well in this completely different, you know, unstructured <laughs> world. And uh, just, yeah, just, just um, still, still, I think had so many lessons and still do have so many lessons to learn on a daily basis. You know, I think that, that, that whole process coming to Costa Rica was very humbling for me um, in a lot of ways. And, um yeah just just with specific aspects of life and i think one of those things was creating boundaries because once i once i had all these openings um after playing and then going through my own journeys with uh very various healing modalities with plant medicine mm -hmm. um it opened my world it opened me to a lot of energy but then also um uh having the the realizations that you know one also needs to create certain boundaries within oneself as to what you will accept and what you won't accept and i think that it's one thing to you know come into the spiritual path and be you know oh i'm Hare krishna or rama rama you know and be kind of 
in the astral and not really grounded and just be like, whoa, this is amazing. And I just want to give and I want to give. And, you know, I've worked all these years of my life and this is what it was for. It's just to give. It's just to give to whoever, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of energy uh, for me was like that I needed to go through that to recognize, wait a minute, like you can be, you, you know, you can have your heart open yet to also just recognize that wait, there's, you know, having a strategy within within that to be like, okay, I can see this person may want this right now, but it's not the best thing for me and discerning. And I think that that's part of the process of coming um, for me was to, to, to learn those things. And I think specifically discernment, which is also like a very a spiritual word in a sense, but it's like to discern what is best and, and I think that I, along the way, I had many lessons where I didn't listen to my intuition. I didn't listen to what the actual, um, what my kind of highest intelligence was um, at that point. But I think the reason also why I, could, I couldn't follow through with what I was being shown was because I wasn't experienced enough yet. So I had to fall down more and more and more to recognize, wait a minute, now I know that if I had if I had followed what my intuition had told me there, if I had followed what my intuition told me there, followed my intuition here, I would have probably been on a totally different trajectory right now. Right. However, I didn't, and I didn't, and I didn't, and I learned the hard way by having to go through those experiences and like, you know, get through tough experiences and then come out that end and then recognize, wait, that's it. Like, just listen, <laughs> you know. Right. I think a, a yeah. lot of us that had coaching, like really serious coaching, where we are dealing with very serious egos, you know, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what you had to deal with <laughs> on your end of it, but I ended up playing for probably the the winningest coach ever in in the NCAA, and oh. and the ego dealing with that type of ego. Um, really had me never trust my own internal voice. Like, Mm. I don't think it was till I was like 36 or 37 years old where I actually didn't default to an outside authority because, because of the conditioning, you know, and you had it for so much longer. You know, I had these these extremely egoic men that had no care at all for for me as a being. <laughs> it was just me as a commodity. And if this commodity performed, then the commodity was lauded. If the if the commodity didn't perform, you were extricated. So I hated that. Like internally, I don't do well with that. And mm that's just part of my own makeup. You know, everybody, you know, some people, they do very well with negative reinforcement. Other people do very well with positive reinforcement. And I just had a string of, of coaches where the only thing that they knew was negative reinforcement. So so this created, (laughs) so so this created internally me doubting my own authority. So it took many, many years for that to unwind, for me to trust my internal voice. Did, did that, would you say there was something similar that happened for you in that regard? 
Yeah, I think that we had we had periods of that for sure. We had, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> I'm also I'm a, I'm of a believer that like one should read into where that person is, you know, as as a leader and as a coach, you know. So reading into like where is this person on the spectrum, you know. Are they going to do well with negative? Are they going to do well with positive? How are they going to? How are they going to respond to either one of those stimuli? You mm-hmm. know, but because I know it exactly what you're saying. It's like sometimes a coach will come in and he'll be like, "Oh, the same thing for everyone," you know, and it will be like, "No, that's where the man manages. That's where the, the, the emotionally intelligent coaches and managers around the world. Those are the ones that actually are the best because they can read each and every single person in a different way and. I think that that's so crucial in like any team, you know, like if you, if you're able to like see that person and recognize, okay, wait, this is, this is maybe not the time to push him in that way to, to give him negative. But as you say, those coaches, a lot of times it was just negative all the time, right? Like, mm-hmm. and to try to push you forward. And for me, yeah, I, I would say that I had a coach like that in the 2003 world cup before the 2003 World Cup, they actually took us on this uh, training expose before, once they had selected the World Cup team, they took us on this um, uh, kind of like a training, um, I could, what could I say? It was like a, a training module, module, modular, like for before the World Cup that they wanted to expose us to like SAS training and like kind of almost like Navy SEALs, um, hardship and going through really difficult experiences a lot of physical training and mental kind of breaking down and um and so those three days were absolute torture and when i look (laughs) (laughs) you know like literally like you've got the best athletes in in the whole of south africa um and you know you've got these guys, these these SAS sergeants, mm-hmm. um, you know, having a little bit of a power trip, and they're like, "Oh, we can make these oaks do whatever we want. We can make them get in and out of the water. We can make them do push-ups. We can make them do, you know, uh, leopard crawl through the felt, the, the 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 bush. We can make them do whatever we want." And I think it was like a massive power trip for them. Yeah, and but for 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 us who were on the receiving end as you know emotionally intelligent human beings and and like like top athletes, um, <clears throat> it was it was a tough thing to have to get through. And I feel those kind of things sometimes can be detrimental to to the overall to the team, you know. And so for me, definitely, I've been through the I've been through many coaches that like that with negative reinforcement that, you know, and I, I, a lot of times it wouldn't be nice in the moment. Joe, Joe, wait, Um, Joe, wait one second. I'm going to send you another link real quick. So the SAS, he's there. He's just grinding you guys down, breaking and breaking the mule, breaking, breaking the stallions. So how, how did you respond? Well, I mean, the, the the thing that I still, to this day, I still am kind of reflected upon the fact that the the senior players that they did nothing at that point in time because I was I was twenty three years old, and none of them. I think that they were all kind of in on it, you know. They all wanted they all they were with the coach, and they kind of wanted us to get through it. But it was some of the things were so. Um, 
yeah, just really strange, you know, like as an example, one of the things that was um, we won this task. So I, we hadn't eaten for about 48 hours and we'd been doing all this physical exercise and we'd been up the whole night. We hadn't slept. And one of these tasks that we had to do was to win basically the team that won would get food. And so we were the team that won and they brought out these boxes and in these boxes, when they, it said on the outside, it said like Cocoa Pops. So I was thinking, okay, well, there's like, what is it? Is it cereal or is it something for us to eat? But is it chocolate? What, what is it? And when we opened the, the box, we looking up at us with these three hens, wild hens. And they literally said to us like, what do you, you know, what do you want us to do with that? And they said, no, that's, that's what you're going to eat. And so I'm looking at this, I'm a city slicker. I've never been in like, (laughs) I've never been on the farm and I'm looking at them and I'm saying, no, but with how, how do you want us to like, do you want us to kill this? And then they were like, yeah, you've got to do it yourself and you've got to cook it. And I remember feeling in that moment, like there's no ways I'm going to do this. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm just, I don't, I'm not going to do it. And then one of the senior players came in and he actually took the chicken and he, he, he turned its neck and he, and he, you know, he slaughtered it. Um, and I remember saying in that moment, I ain't going to be doing that. And then the coach came to me and he looked in me in the eyes and he said, no, you, you next. And so I was like, uh, okay, well, I guess I'm going to do it. And so I, I didn't really know how to, with my bare hands, how to, you know, obviously I had to mm-hmm. like break the neck, but I, 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 I literally, I took it like this and and it was a big hen, right? It was like probably like that big. Mm-hmm. So I grab it by the neck, and I'm like, and I and I'm and I'm try I'm about to like try to turn it, and it's just like its wings just go up, and it just goes crack, crack, crack. So I'm like, so I'm like, whoa, dude, like holding it like this, and it's just moving and it's squawking, and it's like, and so one of the guys just jumps in, one of the, the bigger senior players jumps in and he just goes, Quack. and, but the problem with it was, is that we couldn't even eat them. We couldn't even eat it afterwards because it right. had died in so much like fear and pain that, mm-hmm. so that it just, it wasn't, it was uneatable after mm-hmm. that, which was like a real shocker. But, you know, just simple things like that, like a bit of, you know, humiliating things that we had to take part in um and look i mean for me in the end i got through it it wasn't the worst thing in the world i mean i've been through a lot of hard things before but i think that it did push us to that point of breaking pushed that some of the guys got to mentally got to a point where it was just like it was too much right and i think the humiliation factor of it also was pretty intense look i i also think there's goodness within that too you know pushing yourself to Mm -hmm. those points then you know, like you get to that point, you know that you, you know that like you you can get through things, right? Right, right. When you're in those tough moments, I think what it pushed me to is entrepreneurialism. <laughs> ah, <laughs> really? Because you know, I I learned after being under the you know hammer of other other people that have their their ambition. I, I do best when I, when I, you know, call my own shots. Like when I, when I do everything 
you know, where, where I'm the author of my life. I, I'm, I'm not dependent on somebody else's ego whatsoever. And I know like the majority of my, the majority of all my uh, friends that were professional athletes, they're all entrepreneurs. None of them work for anyone else. And I know, like, I know there's a lots of, there's lots of pro athletes that obviously they end up working for, you know, large corporations and this, that, and the other, but there's, there's something that I've seen, at least with the, in the vein of the, of the professional athletes that I'm friends with, like we're, we're all doing our own thing. We're all, we're all writing our own script, which is kind of cool. Uh, it's amazing. And I think that that's, that's an interesting point because a lot of times, like, uh, when when professional athletes come to the end, of, the end of their career, they may be thinking, oh, you know, this is what I've been doing for 20 years of, of my life and this is what I'm going to stick to and this is what I know. But there's a, a whole other world out there for us to explore, right? And I think that, you know, as you mentioned, the athletes that you know or the, the ex-athletes ex that you know have all kind of taken taken that leap of faith and yeah. uh, and stepped into the unknown. And I think that that's... That that in a sense for me was it gave me the courage to be able to step into that, like the building of all of that resilience over all those years, and so I think that it's a completely different path from the you know the stereotype like okay I go from professional sports I go straight into commentary and then I stay mm -hmm. within those realms and then I explore but I just explore within that right but I, I, think, I think that, that would be like a lower level of hell. Like imagine if you're, <laughs> imagine your entire life, all you could do is talk about the sport that you're already done with. Because when you're in a sport, you see it totally different than the people that are fans of it. You see it totally differently, you know? So imagine yeah. just on such a low level, you're always having to talk about the sport at the level of the fan. Oh my God. I could not imagine. <laughs> I could not imagine a worse a, a worse way of living. I had this moment, um, my last season, I was playing for this like little arena football team. And I was in this room with all these crushers, like all these like, you know, a level athletes. And these were all beautiful men. And they all had like their side hustle going on. Like a couple of them had already started businesses. We were all in our early 20s. And I'm just in the, I'm in the locker room after the game and I'm like really appreciating everyone. Like, I'm like, oh, there's Rodney, you know? And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, these guys are just awesome. And then I'm like, and I'm, I'm like just noticing in my mind, none of us fit the, the stereotype of dumb jock athlete. Like we were all, we were all, not only were we athletic, but we were all, you know, semi-intelligent or above, above average intelligence. And we all had these like little side gigs going on, you know, in the locker room, we rarely talked about the sport. We were always talking about other things or our girlfriends or whatever. And so I'm just in the locker room and I'm really just. I'm just appreciating like, dude, this is, these dudes are cool. And then I noticed something. I was like, wait a minute. The only thing that we all have in common is that we're all injured. 
like I saw each one of us, there was like 20 of us in the room and each one of us had like a sling on or had ice oh. packs taped to us or we're like popping some like, you know, painkiller or something like that. And I just had the epiphany. I was like, ah, professional sports is how we get rewarded that the, the alphas and the bravos, they get rewarded for hurting each other. This whole, mm. this whole scheme is meant so that we take each other out. Cause I mean, I don't know what the concussion, uh, um, like in rugby, I would imagine that concussions are a huge thing, right? Oh, well, it's, it's absolutely massive at the moment. Um, there's been a couple of cases of, of guys coming forward with CTE mm -hmm. and, uh, and then even early onset dementia. Um, and so I think where obviously football was like 20, I think they were like 20 years ahead of rugby in terms of like the professionalism and everything. And now rugby has caught up somewhat. Mm -hmm. But I remember also in the NFL, them going through this period where a lot of guys were committing uh, suicide and mm -hmm. there were a lot of traumas and, and different PSTD uh, after the after after their playing days and mm -hmm. a lot of them coming with cte too and so there's this big kind of um probe into um into concussion now in rugby um because they're saying that like within even within um it's not just for the matches it's also for the trainings you right know, the protocols that are in place for training too because like guys are getting bumped out like on a tuesday afternoon like a guy will get hit and then he'll be out you know and so it's yeah, it's become much more prevalent right now in in the world of rugby. Um, you know the the care around around rugby players and and their safety, mm -hmm. and it's 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 absolutely like it's pretty it's crazy if you think about it. Like just the shock um, that takes place within football these contact sports. Um, mm -hmm. And I think we, we, we haven't even touched the surface of like what we potentially could see coming out in the future, you know, with, with different guys that have been through it. Mm -hmm. um, one of my good friends, he was one of the best players in the world, like uh, a prop, he was a prop, uh, it was basically like the front row. Mm -hmm. um, of, and he was the one that was in scr scrummage and uh, he played for New Zealand for the All Blacks. And he, he was like one of the best players ever to play. And he, he played in um, Toulon together, was the south of France. And um, he was just recently diagnosed with early onset dementia. Oh, no. And um, yeah, it's like, so, but he, you know, he's like, he's such a figure and he's such a big beast of a man. Like he's, he's an absolute mammoth. And 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 just in, in, he was one of the hardest grinders that I've ever seen in my life. Like on a on a pitch, I mean the guy's like six foot four. He weighs like one hundred and twenty kgs. He can move like across the ground. Like he's he had he had everything right. He was had ball skills, everything. Um, and so yeah, just to just to realize that, and I still chat with him now. But um, but yeah, I'm not sure. Like actually, at the moment, like where he is with that process. But there's been from from the 2003 World Cup. There's been a couple of players that have come through that have said that you know they need uh, that they that they've been going through processes similar to that. And there's a big black probe into it right now. 
Yeah, I've studied a lot around concussion protocols because I've had some seriously bad concussions. And the way I was treated, like back then, they didn't even like they didn't even act like it was a thing. <laughs> like you, you would get concussed, and it would just be like, oh, you know, throw some salt on it, you know, get like <laughs> oh, magic, magic water, magic yeah. water. Bro. Well, I <laughs> come some magic water. <laughs> So it's really great. Like, uh, I don't know. You and I have talked about the uh, Bulletproof guy, Dave Asprey, like the Bulletproof coffee. Oh, yeah. So he's done a lot of research into like, what is the best protocol for if you get concussed? And it's literally fast, don't move and stay in a dark room for like 72 hours. Because... When you fast, the hormones that your body create, they, they, they repair, they go and they, they go, you get this anti-inflammation, like an endemic anti-inflammatory state inside the body. And when you don't have any stimulus through the eyes, then the brain can really relax. And mm. if you don't move, you're in a cool, dark environment and you don't eat all these things, they say something like increases your chances of not having long-term effects for it, like three to 400%. What wow. happened What happened with me was like, I instantly was put on a journey. They put this like, this, this neck brace on me. The neck brace is pushing up against where I actually got hit in the head. So I start to see stars. And I'm like, oh, I'm like pointing. I'm like, I'm going blind. And they're like, he's going blind. He's going blind. I'm like, no, it's the, it's the neck brace. It's the neck brace. <laughs> and they're like, yes. and they, they didn't know all their protocol was wrong. They're, they're like moving me through a hospital with all these like, you know, terrible fluorescent lights, you know, just Whoa. all the sounds, all the different things. And it was just like, it took me like eight or nine months to recover from that. Like I, I played a, I played a whole season after a concussion and it was my worst season ever. And no one even brought it up. I didn't even know to yeah. even think about it. Like I was like a shell of myself, but nobody, Whoa. but nobody talked about concussions back then. Like it wasn't a thing. So I'm so happy now that there's all these like, you know, coaches and nu nutritionists and, you know, functional medical people that are like really getting in there, trying to protect the players and, and put them in a position where they can recover effectively. Cause I played a relatively, you know, easy position, like somebody like you, that was so active that like every, every game you're getting in a scrum, I don't know all the terminology, but I could only imagine mm. how many times your head was hit. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, that that's the thing. Like, and even back to this day, I thank I thank God. You know, I'm like, I mean, blessed, blessed. I don't know, maybe I've got a hard head or something, but most of the time, I didn't have I didn't have any like full on whack. Like, I had maybe when I was 17 years old, I had one time where I got like completely whacked like but and i was out for some time but then i came back mm -hmm. but uh but but uh and then subsequently i had a couple of times where it was just like a blackout like short blackout like stars and then came back mm -hmm. but never never to the point where like complete knockout and then out and then stretch it off mm -hmm. so but but i remember as you say the the, the the protocols that were in place like 
back then, like they were non-existent. Like it yeah. was exactly as you say, like a guy would get injured. It would be, okay, listen, like slap him around a bit, stick some water on his head and then get him back up. The guy can't make a call like that too, right? Like you need, you need the authorities to be like, no, this guy's like, he's out. Like obviously nowadays the, the protocol is so much more uh, stringent, like in terms of they go off and they do a test and then they can mm-hmm. see if they are concussed or not. But, um, but yeah, back in the day, it was, it was exactly the same as what you just said. It was just like, it was pretty wild, wild west, you know? It's, it's amazing. I just really hope that for the sake of all, all these guys out there that are putting their bodies on the line, that the, the nutrition side of it and the light side of it's taken care of, because I know that really affected me. All those artificial lights, like immediately after the concussion, like that was like, it was blinding. It was terrible. So now to see that that's a real thing, they know if you're getting hit by all this extraneous light after a concussion, man, does that do some real damage to the brain? Um, (laughs) It was, it was nuts. And I'm just, I'm just glad that there's a lot of attention that's coming to it. And I'm glad that you got through it. Okay. Cause you were, you were in a heavily, heavily hit environment. So I want to get into some good stuff here when it comes to uh, cosmology. I want to mm. shift, shift gears because obviously you've, you've gotten to a point of physical mastery. Um, you have a lot of culture. You've been able to see a lot of the world. You've, you've been able to absorb different people's mentalities, different types of uh, religious ways, different types of spiritual ways, different cultures. You're just like, you, you've seen a lot. That's the best way of saying it. So I want to know how you see this world. Like, what is this, this realm that we're in? And how do you see how you, you as this dynamic being, how you create your reality? Wow, that's a that's a loaded one, and a good one, very good one. <laughs> you know me, like you and I get into these deep conversations. So I, get deep. I, yeah, yeah, we we got we got to go there. Wow, yeah, it's it, it's it's so interesting. Just, I mean, even now, just coming back to South Africa and reconnecting with everyone here, and coming from the place that we come in the jungle. Um with our lifestyle, Pura Vida, very laid back, very chilled, um, kind of, and then in a lot of ways, also very tormentous in a lot of ways too. So it's kind of like you've got those two aspects playing with each other. But then coming back here, it was interesting to see where the mindset is in terms of we're making money, we're going, like everyone's in this way, like, we're going to make more money and we're going to, they're like ambitious and they're like going for it in this world, trying to get things from a worldly perspective. Right. Mm -hmm. And for me coming into that was, it was a bit of a like, whoa, like because of where I've been in the jungle and like just in terms of the play, like the solitude being with nature, I'm really immersing, digging deep into the self, like experimenting with different plant medicines, um, completely different environment uh to being back here and so it's it's been almost like a a, a massive adjustment just coming back and kind of i've been 
you know, everyone's like in this in this direction of, you know, wanting to make more money and like going for it and they're going for things. And I see the, the, the motivation that they have and the inspiration that they have and it's great. But just coming from where I've come from into that, it's like, wow. And it's it's kind of been hard for me to kind of integrate in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, just seeing the two, the, 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 the completely different worlds. And when I say that, like where I'm coming from, right, is like sustainability, regeneration, rejuvenation, uh, um, organics, um, uh, yeah, everything, everything that's happening there. No one's talking specifically about like, money you know about getting more money and things mm-hmm. like that it's pro- probably like looking after your resources like creating more food building food forests like it's, it's sustainability all of those things so it's like that's been the biggest shift for me coming back here because it's like obviously i haven't like really plugged into the tribe here that's like all conscious in that way about um about the world and about regeneration and rejuvenation and everything that we that we can be like offer ourselves to for the for for the betterment of of the whole and so that for me has been like completely two different worlds right um yeah i bet yeah so so yeah so so just 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 being just just being submerged within that all the time like being in costa rica and the consciousness and people conscious beings and what they actually their conversations are about and what they're trying to achieve through their paths has been very different to like coming here and like, and specifically, yeah, I'm not going to say that, that like it's a one-sided thing because I haven't like merged more into the community as much, mm-hmm. which I think that it, it does exist. Yeah, of course, like there are those tribes and there are those people that are here that are, that are more conscious about like, what, what are we, nourishing ourselves with and what are we nourishing this earth with and like being more conscious about those things so so yeah so that's just been it's been an interesting uh thing to reflect upon uh coming from from where we're at to where we are and i kind of feel like the kind of the middle way of that would be the you know right is like finding the middle way between the two would be the best but um it's it's not always easy it's kind of funny how there's a Puda Vida cocoon that occurs for all of us gringos that, that are there in the sense that we're immersed in a Catholic culture when you're there. But the real driver of, of life there is the jungle. And because the yeah. jungle is the driver, your spiritual orientation is kind of, it's, it's way secondary. When you have to deal with like, you know, eight meters of rainfall a year, you're like, <laughs> be, be as spiritual as you want. Like, we got to make sure the water is getting away from the building. You know, it's just like, it, it's this very humbling space to be in where it's just like, you can have all your thoughts. You can think this and that, but let's, let's get to the nitty gritty. What, what is actually happening around you so it was so neat to see this this congregation of people from all over the world you know south africans dutch you know north americans canadians south americans all kind of end up in this valley 
the Diamond Valley, the Diamante Valley, and then we're all coming at the, looking at the flows of the water, the the big green wall. Like for to describe to mm. people that are just listening, Joe's farm that he has in in Costa Rica stretches up this this mountain. It's like Fenway. It's like the green. It's like the green wall. And it just goes mm. up and he has all these beautiful flows of water that move through his farm. One of the most beautiful pond setups I've ever seen. Um, I knew the farm beforehand with the previous owner and what, what you and your business partner did to, to beautify that place and just make it something special is just, it's extraordinary. All these, like how many different varieties of tropical fruit do you have growing there? Well, I've I've lost count. I think it's probably must be upward of fifteen different kinds or twenty different kinds. Yeah, and every yeah. time I, you know, every time I go back to Costa Rica, I'm on your farm. <laughs> oh yeah, I know, I know. You're visiting. You're yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Right? So, so it's just one of these things where. It, the one of the beautiful things that I will always hold in my heart about my time there and the time that I go back there is there's such a there's such a diversity in the people that live there relative to all of us having to handle the water problem <laughs> the, this whole thing yeah. with the, in the water not just being water in the physical but the emotional body like I don't know if you noticed this mm. or, or seen on an introspective level, but everybody that moves to Costa Rica, that's a foreigner, they're all having to get in touch with their emotional body. <laughs> there's no, <laughs> there, there's no running from your emotional body when you're literally immersed in that much humidity, you know, in that much water. So, um, yeah, it, it's an extraordinary thing. How is that like, now that you have the contrast? I don't know what the environment is like in South Africa. Is it, it obviously you talked about summertime now down? It's summertime, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's summertime here right now. So, I mean, it, we do looking at it's, you know, it's definitely not as humid for sure. And as you mentioned yeah. about the like the precipitation and the, it's not the same, it's much drier. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you know that's the other thing. When you live in that, the forest is breathing so much, right? And it's like mm-hmm. it's just this—it's this organism that's like alive and like. So when you come to come here, it's a totally different feel, you know. I mean, it's it's absolutely gorgeous. There's like there's this where my mom's place is here. It's got this beautiful, beautiful mountain range behind, like a massive mountain, and they are also rock pools and different things to explore and hiking trails and different things at the back. But in Costa Rica, it's like this, just, it's just different. It feels like everything's so much more alive, you know, and just mm-hmm. thriving and like things grow so quickly and just like the size of the plants. It's like Jurassic Park, right? You're just yeah. like, ah, oh, like, you know, and the, and the, the rapidity of, of the growth. And I think it's like, it's it's also obviously like as you mentioned, it's people having to get in touch with the emotional body because there's there there's things there that it's not the same as where you're coming from, darling. No. And it's like you, you you're gonna get knocked, you know, like that's the first thing that I remember going to Costa Rica was they spoke about the ring of fire. 
And if you make it through the ring of fire, which is literally like being there for two years, if you got through that two years, potentially you may stay a little bit longer or mm -hmm. a couple more years or you may make it through, right? Mm -hmm. And you would know that more than anyone else having been there for like 13 or 15. How many years were you there? 15 years. 15 years, yeah. So mm -hmm. I, I, can, I, can, I can be a testament to that because I know that there's so many things that take place there that it's like if you don't have the resources, like you definitely, it's, it's hard to, to get through. And as you mentioned about just, just from an, the natural re, the, the natural perspective of like things happening, landslides, um, earth moving, uh, the amount of water, like all of those different aspects. Um, and I think that that's also the reason why you know, we can, we can travel in the astral, but we also need to be here because like there's so much work for us to take part in, in specifically there in the jungle. Like, uh, as you mentioned, like there's so many things that take place that you need to be physically like prepared to be mm -hmm. able to like, if you need to dig trenches or you need to like different things, plug holes or do different things, like you've got to be prepared to do that, right? Like you can't always just be high, you know, at one with everything in that sense, but or, or astro traveling. So, so yeah, no, but it's totally different. Like, as you mentioned about the microclimates, right? Like for me, there's so many little different microclimates like taking place. It's true mm -hmm. um, right now. Yeah. Cause your side of the mountain was totally different than my side of the mountain. I had a view to the South where yours was to the Northwest. So like just the experience yeah. of what I would get and just, it, it's just amazing. Like a lot of the people don't know. It's like, if you were to imagine if you're going to take like a uh, English muffin with all its nooks and crannies, all the surface area of Costa Rica, if you're to flatten it out, it's like a huge amount of area, but in its crinkled state, it's like the size of, I, I forget what they say. It's like the size of the state of West Virginia, which isn't that big. But like you have, you just have so many nooks and crannies. It's just like, oh my goodness. And the fact that the, the way you guys did your water management, you know, I'm a huge, huge proponent of, you know, water flow forms and vortexing and all the things that structure water. Like I, I really feel like the, the water that starts on your farm, by the time it leaves, it, it's in a much better place than it began. So Huge, huge kudos to you for that. The what, oh, what's, your, what's your plan? When do you head back? Um, I'm actually heading back um, on the 4th of Feb. So I'm going to be, or no, actually beginning of Feb, I'll be going back, yeah. Oh, great. So, yeah, so spending a couple more weeks here and then I'll be, I'll be on my way back. But you know that, yeah, I was setting our farm is actually up for sale right now. Oh, We're great. in a process with that too. Yeah, that's why actually in just from a personal perspective, there's a lot of transitions happening, you know, right mm -hmm. now. But um, but I'm, I'm, I'm feeling more and more positive and confident around like the direction. Um, I'm not 100% sure at the moment where I'm going to be, but mm -hmm. um, but I know, I know what I'm passionate about and I know what I want to channel my energy towards. So um god willing all of the things take place and then we'll liberate to be able to make that next step well you'll always have a you always have a place to stay with us we're we're in the ozarks now we're in uh southern ah. 
we're we're in southern Missouri, so we have just as much water. Well, I won't say just as much. We have a lot of water like Costa Rica, but our forest there is made out of like hickory, beech, maple, oak, like it's like it's it's like really good forest energy, but it's just like the the more of the I guess you'd call it like the northern uh well it's all you know much much higher latitude so it's uh it's really re remarkable to go from what a tropical forest you know cloud forest mm. to actually being in a north american forest it's just it's 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 a lot of fun for us to make that transition oh man i would i definitely want to come visit you at one point like I think that that is it's more crisp, right? Like it's not as humid at all. Yeah, yeah, the cr very very well we live on a 50 acre lake, so 25 hectare lake. So it's very interesting. Our last farm was much drier because it was on the top of a ridge, so it was kind of windswept. The new farm is down in a bowl. And it it's this very gradual bowl that goes down to this lake, this 50 acre lake. And that is like, oh, wow. it's a microclimate. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's, I would say it's probably 20 points higher on the humidity scale than the place on the ridge on, on hilltop, but it's like still like 60 points lower than what it is in Costa Rica. You know, yeah, you, yeah. you'll never get back to that level of humidity and anywhere else in the world. So it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Yeah, we're going to break ground uh, this upcoming year on our on like my dream house. So I'm going to be like building this, you know, I'm going to incorporate everything that I've ever done into this into this one structure. So I'm I'm pretty, pretty excited about it. Oh, that's amazing. That's such a good project coming up. Eh? Yeah. So Joe, we're, we're, I know, I know you got a lot going on. Where can people find you? Where, where should they follow you? If, if they want to get, give us a, a shout where, where everybody can see your stuff. Oh, they can check out every, they can check it out through Instagram. I'm on there normally, normally respond to, to ever send the messages and things. And so it's at jungle, jungle Joe three, three, three. Yeah. On Insta. Well, you better yeah. you better move to another jungle to keep your brand, man. Come on, let's go. <laughs> well, that's what I was thinking. Like, what are we going to change it? Okay, then I thought, like, okay, not your average Joe. Eh? There you, you know? go. Three, three, three. You're, you're, you're definitely not average. If I move, bro. You're definitely yeah. not average in any way, my man. Well, it was so good to see oh. you, and, and and I think I'll be down there during that time too. So I would love to get some oh. FaceTime with you and give you a big hug. Oh man, you give the best hugs. I just want to tell you that. You give the best hugs. Thank you. <laughs> big bear hugs. Yeah, big bear uh, hugs. Yeah. I'm a yeah. Huggy bear. Oh, looking forward to seeing you. All right, my man. Well you bear, have a yeah. you have a good Okay. One. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks, Pope. Thanks for the platform and, and sending you all so much love. That's sad. Thank you, Joe. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Ciao, brother. Thank you for listening to the BioCharisma podcast. Hopefully Joe proved to be entertaining. People like him will definitely uplift your soul. Check him out at junglejoe333.com. Um, he's just a good man. I believe he's doing like, you know, self-coaching and 
a bunch of different things. I know he was on the medicine in the medicine world for a minute. So just know that there's a lot of, of fully actualized people that might not necessarily be from walks of life that you, that you would imagine. <laughs> uh, the stereotypes around around certain men in the military and in pro sports are just not not accurate. So it's uh, it's always good to be around people who have had physical mastery because physical mastery begets spiritual mastery. Um, one of the gurus that, one of the masters that I had read a lot from, he, he was very emphatic that, you know, we took on a body to learn. The body was like the baby steps for our spirit. So you had to master the body before you could master the soul. And uh, I don't necessarily see a huge separation between these things. Um, so <laughs> I've kind of found that to be true. Uh, people that are underdeveloped with their, the knowledge of their body, um, they just need a little bit more time in a body to kind of, kind of learn the ways of the more subtle. So Joe is a good person to be around just cause he's going to love you up no matter what. Um, good man. The uh, podcast is growing by leaps and bounds. I've been very impressed with uh, people's comments and the questions I'm fielding. I will be having a live stream. We're trying to determine right now when the best time to do a live stream would be so I don't overlap or take you know, you know the shine off of anyone else that's out there at the moment. Um, but that'll be a lot of fun to have a stream of consciousness and just go for it and, uh, you know, talk to everybody directly. So we're going to be doing that. And, uh, I just started designing the Gardenians, the Tophirians, uh, dream home. So very shortly here, we're going to be getting a bunch of builder buddies together to do some of the, the preliminary work that needs to get done. But uh, that's probably like a month or so out. So thank you for joining us. Remember, you can get everything at topherhq.com. That's T-O-P-H-E-R-H-Q.com. And uh, if you need audio-only stuff, that's on Telegram and also a bunch of the different uh, podcasters out there. So thank you very much. I'll see you next week. I can tell that you